Raise your hand if you have ever been tempted by something. All right. Most of you are telling the truth. Uh, all right, so we're going to get a running start. We're finally, we've spent the last few weeks looking at everything leading up to the life of Jesus and Jesus' birth. Today we're actually going to get into the first events uh, in Jesus' adult life. Um, so actually we're going to get a little bit of a running start. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, a little bit of context here. John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, uh, has been out baptizing people, uh, and uh, Jesus is now coming to get baptized. So Luke chapter 3, verse 21 says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I'm not really sure what God sounds like, um, but it had to be pretty cool, right? I mean, you're, you're there getting baptized as you're praying, you have this vision. So, I mean, how, you know, how encouraging and inspiring is that as you're about to launch out into ministry, right, to get that kind of affirmation? Um, so this is, this is setting the context for where we're going to move into. Verse 23 says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Uh, and then it goes into this whole genealogy from Joseph, who was his adopted dad, all the way to Adam. And then we move into Luke chapter 4, and this is what it says. Immediately after his baptism experience, where he gets this great affirmation from God, uh, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. At which point you're probably thinking, well, duh, right? I mean, I, I, on one, it raises the question, why in the world does Luke tell us that at the end of not eating for 40 days, Jesus was hungry? I'm really glad that this is included, right? Because right before this, we have this, this grand announcement, this is my beloved son, I'm well pleased with you. And then it tells us that Jesus goes into the desert, and for 40 days, he doesn't eat or drink anything, and after that, he's hungry, which is a reminder to us that Jesus was also fully human, right? We, we spend a lot of time talking about how Jesus is the son of God, and Jesus is the Messiah, but this is a reminder to us that Jesus was fully human, uh, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I'm going to read to you a couple of verses out of the book of Hebrews. Uh, we've talked about Hebrews a couple of times before, but these are some verses um, reminding us about Jesus' full humanity, and this is important. I'll tell you why in just a minute. For Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 say this. It says, For this reason, he, talking about Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Why? In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us that, that Jesus had to be fully human. We spend a lot of time talking about how, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, and He is, but He was fully human, and as fully human, He was tempted. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, 
uh, it says, For we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who, was, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So, as we move into this story, we're going to see how Jesus was tempted by the devil, how he experienced some very real temptations. And because Jesus was fully human, we're going to look from this, we're going to realize that not only is Jesus our Savior, he is, not only is he the Son of God, he is, but he's also our example, right? Jesus came fully human to show us what it means to live as fully human. So we're going to see Jesus resisting temptation. And because he's our example, he shows us how we can resist temptation. So, you know, sometimes when we read the stories of Jesus, we think, oh my goodness, there, there's no way that I could ever be like that. We, we, we really put Jesus up on his pedestal as well we should, as our Savior and the Son of God. But He also came to be our example, to show us how to do things right, to show us how to live in a relationship with God. So we, we want to be really careful when we read the stories of Jesus not to think, oh my goodness, well, that's just Jesus. There's no way that I could ever be like that. Because as we're told at other places in the New Testament, when we put our faith in Christ, we're given the mind of Christ. We're given the spirit of Christ. Jesus shows us how we can live in relationship to God as well. So we're going to look at Jesus' example, and we're going to see how he resisted temptation, and then by way of that, how we can resist temptation. We want to, what's the, what does it mean to be a Christian, I've told you? To be like Christ, right? To be like Christ. So we're going to look at how Jesus faces temptation, how he resists, so that we can become like that ourselves. All right. Uh, so Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry, a reminder to us that he's human. I'm pretty sure you'd be hungry if you went 40 days without food as well, right? So we're going to watch how Jesus responds to these temptations. Uh, here we have Jesus is tempted by the devil. Now, I know that we live in 21st century America, and sometimes talking about the devil makes us seem like we're, you know, backward folks who are behind the times. But, you know, if Jesus believed in the devil, and if Jesus could pull off his own death and resurrection, predict it and pull it off, then I'm just going to go with what Jesus says. So uh, maybe you believe in the devil, maybe you don't. Seems like Jesus did, so, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with what Jesus said. Uh, so verse 3, it says, The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, what had Jesus been without for 40 days? Bread. Food, right? So this, this shows us there, there's a principle here for us to learn. That is that temptation often comes in areas where we have weakness or vulnerability or need. Temptation often comes where we have weakness or vulnerability or need. That Jesus was hungry. And stones in that time period where, where he was, stones often looked like they're loaves of bread. And so, the, you know, Jesus would have been looking at these stones. And if you've been out in the desert at all, if you've been hungry, sometimes our mind can play tricks on us, right? You know, you see those cartoons of mirages, right? So he's looking at this rock and all of a sudden, it, you know, it transforms into this like hot steaming loaf of bread. Uh, and so the devil shows up and he tempts Jesus right in this area of, of need, of vulnerability, saying, if you're the son of God, turn this stone into bread. But there's a deeper aspect to this temptation here that I, I want to zero in on, which is the first few words of it. The devil looked at Jesus. He said, if you are the Son of God, if you're really the Son of God, prove it. Do something to prove it. Now, what had Jesus just been told immediately preceding this at his baptism? You are my son, right? God shows up, the, the 
Holy Spirit comes down. Jesus hears this voice. You are my beloved son. He gets this wonderful recognition from the Father. Immediately, what's the first thing the devil tempts him at? If you're really the Son of God, he tempts him to question his identity, to question who he really is. And and I think we see that in our temptations as well. When when we are tempted by something, a lot of times that temptation... is, is a subtle temptation for us to question the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God. To question who God has called us to be in Christ. If you're really the Son of God, if God really loves you, if you're really who God says you are, then do something to prove it. And this harkens all the way back to the very first uh, story in the Bible with Adam and Eve when Eve is out in the garden and the serpent shows up and she says, and the serpent says to Eve, did God really say... So many times when we experience temptation in life, it's a temptation for us to question who we are and what God has said. Are we, do we really trust God? So maybe, maybe it's not hunger for us, but maybe it's finances, and we're tempted to, to spend beyond our means, or we're tempted to not be generous with our finances because things are tight. And, and it's, it's a temptation for us to question, you know, do, is God really going to be faithful? If you give your your offering this month, is God really going to come through for you? Is God really going to provide? Do you really trust God? Maybe it's something in regards to our health. You know, we're tempted. Do you really trust God with your health? Do you really trust God with this diagnosis? Maybe it's a relationship. Do you really trust God in this relationship to to act in the way that you know that you're supposed to act? I know that things are are tough right now, and I know that things are are hard right now in this relationship or with this diagnosis or with your finances or in your job. You're tempted to cut corners. You're tempted to to, to act in a way that you know you shouldn't act because it's convenient for the time. And the, the temptation is, do you really trust God? Do you really trust that God is who he says he is and that you are who he says you are? Do you really believe that God has called you to be who he is? I, I remember an experience in my own life when I was in seminary. Uh, I really believed that God had called me into ministry. I believed that God had called me to go to seminary. I believed that I was doing the right thing. We were trying to be very faithful with what we knew with our finances and, and to give and to steward and to cut back where we could. And uh, all of a sudden, we're, you know, I'm driving one day and the car dies. You know, and, and here we are paying for seminary and we, Gabrielle's working full time. I'm working as much as I can part time. We don't have the money to replace a car. And I'm really tempted at that moment to question, oh my gosh, Did I miss something? Did I miss God's call in my life? Did I miss here? Was I chasing my own dreams? Was I chasing my own? Is this really who God has called me to be? This this temptation shows up, and I I had to force force myself to to face the fact, is this what I've been called to do? And I was tempted to really question that. You know, maybe I've missed it. Maybe this isn't where God has called me to be. You know, and so the temptation wasn't so much with the car, the finances, although that was part of it. The deeper temptation was for me to question who I was. So in the temptations that, that you're facing, what, what is God, what, what is Satan tempting you to question? What aspect of God's faithfulness is Satan tempting you to question? And look at the, the deeper temptation behind it. So we, here in this first temptation, we see the devil show up. He tempts Jesus in an area of need, but he t- tempts him in something deeper. If you're really the son of God, then prove it, right? And, and Jesus, being the son of God, he could, have, he, he, he could have just said, pow, bread, right? But he knew that that wasn't what he was called to do at that particular time. Look at how Jesus responds in verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. 
Jesus quotes Scripture. He quotes a portion of Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3 from the Old Testament. Jesus quotes Scripture back to Satan in the face of temptation. And this is fascinating to me, right? Because Jesus didn't have to quote Scripture. As I heard one preacher say one time, Jesus was in the unique position that whatever he said at that moment would have become Scripture, right? Because we're reading it here, so it's Scripture for us. Anything Jesus said would have become Scripture, and yet in the, in the face of temptation, what does he do? He quotes Scripture. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was born with the whole Bible memorized. I don't believe he was born with, with the Old Testament memorized. I don't believe that it was just downloaded into him as the Son of God. I believe that throughout his childhood and throughout his life, he studied the Scriptures. The Scriptures were important to him, and he studied them, and he committed them to memory. Jesus didn't, you know, he didn't like pull out his iPhone and say, wait, I think there's a verse somewhere in there about uh, temptation and bread, and, you know, let me, let me search on Google for this verse. Jesus, he, he didn't pull out his pocket Bible, right, his pocket scroll, and like, open up this little pocket scroll and, and find the place where it was written. Jesus had this scripture in his heart, in his mind, in his memory, and he was able to pull it from memory and use the particular scripture that was necessary at the particular time to beat back that temptation. So here's a question. If Jesus used scripture to combat temptation, what do you think we should use? Scripture, right? I mean, if, if Jesus responded with, with promises from God to beat back temptation, if Jesus needed to memorize a, a, and, and hide the Scriptures in his heart to overcome temptation, maybe those of us who aren't automatically the Son of God need to do the same thing, right? If it was good enough for Jesus, maybe, maybe we ought to do, do that too. So this is the, the key here is Scripture... Hidden in our heart is one of the most powerful ways that we can overcome temptation. Memorizing Scripture. And you know what? That takes some effort. You're not going to memorize Scripture if the only time you crack open your Bible is on Sunday mornings. Right? So you're, some of you are going to have to go home and you're going to have to pull that thing off the shelf. You're going to have to... Right? And you're going to have to crack it open. And you're going to have to spend some time, and you're going to have to spend some time reading it and memorizing it. Now, there are great tools that can help. There's, there's some wonderful apps. If you have a smartphone, I can show you about. Uh, but it, it's this repetition. It's going to take some intentional effort. Jesus, you know, and you're going to have to do it in advance, right? Jesus had been studying in advance of the temptation. People who, what, when do you think football players start training for the football game? What's that? Spring, right. So they start training well in advance of the game so that when the competition comes, they're ready to play. If we think that we're going to be ready to overcome temptation by just cracking open our Bibles the minute that it happens, we're going to be way behind the game. Jesus is showing us we, we need to develop a habit of getting into the Scriptures and hiding those Scriptures in our heart so that we have the tools we need to respond when the time comes up. It is written. The, the scripture hidden in our heart is one of the most powerful ways to overcome temptation. Uh, so then, that was verse chapter 4. Verse chapter 5 says, well, then the devil just gave up and left him. No, your Bible doesn't say that? Hmm. So, verse, chap uh, verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to, if you worship me 
all will be yours. This particular temptation is fascinating to me because we have the devil who takes Jesus. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all of this belongs to me. And I can give it to whoever I want. And it can be yours if you will just worship me. Now, the first thing that I think about, well, wait a second. The devil, the devil's saying that he has authority over all of the kingdoms of the world. Hmm. Now, some of you might be thinking, but isn't, isn't the devil a liar? Doesn't Jesus call him a liar and the father of lies? Yes, he does. But Jesus also calls, Jesus recognizes that, that Satan at this present time is the ruler of the world. Jesus Paul says the same thing. He calls Satan the god of this world, the ruler of this age. In other words, we live in a time where, where Satan has been given authority. He was handed authority uh, over from Adam. When Adam and Eve uh, sinned, when, when, when they uh, took part of that fruit, they transferred the authority they had been given to Satan. And, and until Jesus comes back the second time to fully vanquish him, we live in a world where the kingdoms of the world are, are run by Satan. That should get our attention in terms of the way that we want to uh, be involved with the kingdoms of the world, right? But think of the temptation that this would have been for Jesus. Jesus is coming. He knows he's supposed to be the Messiah. Here's a shortcut, right? He knows, think of all of the good that Jesus could do if he had authority over all the kingdoms of the world. Think of all of the good programs, all of the helpful programs he could implement. Think of all of the people he could help if only he had authority over all of the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says, here, I will give them to you right now if you will just bow down and worship me. Imagine the temptation that would have been, not just for personal power and prestige, but even to help people, to say, oh, look, if, if, if only I was in authority, if only I had the political power of the world, imagine all of the good that I could do. Boy, is this text timely. Hmm? Jesus was tempted to, to get in bed with the powers of the world in order to accomplish what he thought was good. Imagine how tempting that would have been if you had a heart to say, let's take a shortcut. Let's, let's work through power over instead of what he was called to do with service and suffering. If he could have accomplished all that, all that he wanted to do without the service and without the suffering aspect of it. This was a very real temptation for Jesus. I think if Satan was lying, I think if, this, if the devil didn't really have the authority to give him, I think Jesus would have called him on it. I don't think it would have been a real temptation if, Jesus, if the devil couldn't have followed through on the promise. That's why this was such a real temptation. And this, unfortunately, this is a temptation that the church in the last, you know, 1,600 years has really bought into. We've bought into this idea that, that if we just, if we get involved with, if we could only get our hands on political power, imagine how much good we can do. When we look at the example of Jesus, he says, no, 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 that's not the way that I came to do things. I came to serve from underneath. I came as a suffering Savior, not as one who came with, with the authority and the power of the world. And, and for the last couple, few centuries, we have gotten it mixed up. We have said, oh, if only we can get political power. Oh, if only we can get our guy in the White House. If we can get our guy on Capitol Hill. If we can get our guy as governor, you know, then, then we can enforce these Christian principles. Because wouldn't they be so good for everybody? If we could just force them, wouldn't it just be so good for everybody? But, but that's not how Jesus responds. And this brings up something that I, I want to talk about, this idea that we can accomplish a greater good by doing a little bit of evil. Right? Within, within the world, there's this ethical system called consequentialism. 
Consequentialism. Maybe you've heard that word, maybe you haven't. But it, 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 it's defined like this. The ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. Yeah, maybe I have to do something that's a little bit evil, but it's going to accomplish a greater good. That's what Jesus is being tempted with here. Jesus is being tempted with consequentialism. If I'll only do this little bit of evil now, I can accomplish greater good later. Consequentialism is unchristian. Consequentialism is unchristian. Nowhere in Scripture are we told that it's okay to do something bad to accomplish a greater good. That's, that's, I, I dare you, find somewhere in the New Testament that, that supports the idea of consequentialism. I don't think it's there. I've been looking. And yet, for a lot of American Christians, consequentialism is the way that we operate. We say, oh, if, you know, we, we've just got to, I know this isn't good in the moment, but look at the greater good it's going to accomplish. That's not what we've been called to do. We've been called to something greater. We've been called to model the right way, no matter what it costs. No matter how much it makes us suffer, we're called to do what's right the whole way and trust that God has the end in mind. Jesus was tempted to consequentialism, and he responded. He said, no, 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 that's not the way that it works. Verse 8, he says, it is written. There it is again. He quotes another bit of scripture. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Our job is to serve God, and we trust the results to God. We do what we know to do is right, and we, let, we leave the results in God's hands. We trust that God is going to do what is right as, as we do what he's called us to do. We don't compromise on what's right just because we think it's going to accomplish something greater. We leave that to God. We do what's right now. We worship the Lord our God. We serve him only. Uh, verse 9. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, there it is again, there's that temptation to question who he was, to question the faithfulness of God. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. What? Wait. Hold on. Who said that? The devil. The devil said it is written. And then he goes on to say, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up your hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil quoted the Bible. Don't miss that. The devil knows Scripture. The devil can quote the Bible. Just be, that, that shows us that we've got some responsibility. This thing, it can be used for wonderful good, and it can be used for terrible evil. The devil knows Scripture, and he will misquote it over and over again. Right? He's going he's gonna to try to use Scripture in a way that it's not intended to be used. This, just because, this is called a sword. right? It, it can be used for good, and it can be used to hurt people. And so we have to be sharp. We have to be careful on the way that we use Scripture. And the people who claim to use Scripture, right? You have, just because I say it's in the Bible, you should... Double, don't, don't just take it because I say it, right? Don't just take it because your, your television preacher says it. Uh, don't just take it because some famous pastor says it. We have a responsibility to rightly handle the word of truth. And the devil will quote scripture and he'll make it sound really good. And, and he'll, he'll make it sound like, oh, if you just, if you just do it this way. We've got to be sharp. Scripture can be mishandled and misapplied, and I've seen it, and I'm sure you've seen it too, used to hurt the people that God loves. 
If Scripture is used to hurt the people that God loves, then it's misusing Scripture. So, yes, we believe in the authority of Scripture. Yes, we believe that that God inspired the Bible, but we are very careful about how we use it. We never use this as a sword to cut down the people that God loves. And we never use it as an excuse to do things that shouldn't be done. The devil knows Scripture. That means that we've got to be sharp. Uh, Jesus responds in verse 12, Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus was tempted to, to once again, th- this is a temptation to pride, right? The, the, the devil's really pulling it, uh, trying to get Jesus to give in to pride. Like, of course I'm the son of God, I'm going to jump down, and yeah, God's going to take care of me. But really, that's not what he was called to do. And, and we, don't need to, we don't need to prove ourselves to anybody. We don't need to prove, you know, our, our righteousness to anybody. We don't need to prove our spiritual superiority to anybody. That's not what we've been called to do. When we're, called to, when we're tempted to uh, give in to pride, to, to prove who we are, uh, to prove our spirituality, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a temptation. Don't give in to that. Respond with Scripture, rightly applied. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. We don't tempt God. You know, we... If I said, you know, we, we believe that God wants to take care of us, but if I say, you know, if you really believe it, go step in front of traffic, you know, that, <laughs> don't. Um, okay? Uh, so we see the humanity of Jesus. We see that he was tempted uh, in all things, like as we are. And when Jesus responded, he responded with what? Scripture. It is written because he had built in that habit in his life. He had the tools he needed when, when temptation came up. Uh, so I challenge you this week, pick, pick a, a, a verse from Scripture to memorize, uh, to, to hold in your heart. Th- think of an area in your life where you might be experiencing temptation or where you often experience temptation. And if you need help, let me know. I'll help you find a Scripture. Because usually for, usually for every temptation, there's a corresponding Scripture. A- and over the next week, try to memorize that. You know, repeat it. You can memorize a verse you know, in, in 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, depending how easy it is for you, and, and then hide it in your heart. And the more you do that, uh, the psalmist in Psalm 119, I believe, says, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. To hide that scripture in there. Uh, we're told in James, I think it's James, resist the devil and he will flee. That might be Peter. It's more important to have the, the scripture than the, than the chapter and verse, but both is good. I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, but resist the devil. That's what Jesus did. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, and that's, look at verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus got a break. And so we'll, as we resist, we'll get a break. And then it, but he didn't leave him forever, right? Satan came back. He'll come back. So this isn't a one-time thing. We don't resist temptation once and then we're done. We, we, we build it. But here's the neat thing. And this has been proven even scientifically. Resisting once strengthens your ability to resist the next time. The more temptation that you can resist once, the stronger you'll be to resist the next time. Consequentially, on the opposite side of that, giving in makes it harder to resist the next time. So when it comes up, study the scripture, hide it in your heart, respond appropriately, and the next time it'll be easier to do that again. We're all going to face temptation. We, We can't escape that. We can control how we respond to that temptation. And if we look at Jesus, if we look at our Savior, if we look at our example, Jesus shows us that we need to take the time to spend reading this book, reading these stories, hiding it in our heart so that when the devil shows up to us and says, if you're really the Son of God, if you really trust God, we can say, you know what? Not this time, buddy. 
Let me have a word of prayer uh, as I invite Larry and Ina back up to lead us in one final song. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for providing us this example. Father, thank you for this Savior who came and suffered in our place. Thank you for recording his life in these stories so that we can see how he lived. Father, may we be inspired by his example. May we be moved to study the scripture ourselves, to hide your word deep in our heart. Father, give us the strength we need to resist temptation. Father, as we, as we go forward today, I know that we're all, we're all tempted by different things. We're all experiencing temptation in different ways. But be with each and every one of us. Bring your promises to our mind. Give us the strength to resist, Father. And as we do, give us the hope that you will redeem our suffering, that you will redeem our temptation, that you will redeem our bodies. Father, give us, remind us of your hope that you have set aside a place for us in all of eternity. Let that fuel our determination to live for you more this week than we ever have. Father, while the world around us is just swirling in hurt and anger and hate and confusion, let us be different. Let us be examples of those who are kept by your peace, who exhibit your joy. Father, help us to be beacons of light and love. Help us to be the place where transformation starts. Help us to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. In Jesus' name.